For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together and rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. And you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. As we pray uh, this morning, I know we always tell ourselves we have much to be thankful for. But hopefully, there's a sense as we recognize we're going to meet the Lord in communion here that we have much to be thankful for. But that we would prepare our hearts for that time. Prepare our hearts for that time uh, by making ourselves right with God and with one another. And whatever that might entail, as he speaks to us, as he's already spoken to us, as we already know what that is, as we go here this day. Um, and then, for those things, those we recognize, uh, many of you have come here with burdens and things that are heavy. And, and for us to just be able to, if you haven't already in the worship, to surrender it all the way over. There should be a sense in our time of, of worship that we've surrendered our whole self, our very life before him, which that includes the problems, not just the praises. And yeah, we have that opportunity. Uh, thankful. Uh, thank you, John, for announcing, helping out next week. Those uh, will get you an address. Um, let us know. And well, my intention is that many of you will be able to come back and shop. Uh, because you don't have to move me anywhere. Um, so uh, we're just moving out, which won't take long. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we thank you. There are many things in our life that we can praise you for, but even if those things fall and fail, what we have right before us, bread to cup, symbolism of the greatest the greatest thing we have to praise you about to be thankful about about your death you give us life not just life eternal but life abundant thank you but help us to lay aside the problems and those things that we got to take care of even yet today just ask that you would speak and that we would listen meaning that we would actually do something with what we've heard and be different that you meet us in a real way Lord I pray for those hearts today that have been hesitating to do what you've asked and we know that To hesitate is to wait to obey, is to disobey. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and fall heavy upon us, that we can no longer wait in disobedience, no longer hesitate, no longer keep the walls up, but to take them down today fall upon us in such a way that all the walls would come down. This is only something you can do. Pray you would do it even now. In the name
name and the authority of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. Thank you. Amen. It may seem hard to believe, but and some of you may not care, but baseball season has begun. I know some of you are into that. Some of you are like, it's not really much of a full-contact sport. Uh, I don't really know much about, you know, I want to have something a little more than that. Well, I have a video for you uh, just to kind of that some baseball players, something that they're not necessarily into, uh, so to speak, that applies today. Two homers in as many days, five on the season, and there's a drive toward right field. Turner Ward going over, makes a great diving catch, and we lost Turner Ward. He goes up and through the wall, apparently. Run scores on the sacrifice fly, and Ward appears hurt. And obviously, because as we said, we lost him. It was a uh, possibly he went through a door out there in right field, but literally he was gone. Smith hits it deep into the left field corner, and Alex goes sliding across the line. And a dangerous play. Although I don't. Well, dangerous more for the wall than it was for Alex. Oh, man. The wall fell apart. He knows exactly where to where to Here's the pitch. It's a shot to deep right center. It's going, going. Oh my God! <laughs> that is out toward left field. Chasing Victor Reno back, still racing back, and will not be able to make the play. It's off the wall. Ricochets back toward the infield. Brett Laurie with good speed scores all the way from first, and it's six to three eggs. Just over his glove and off the wall, yeah, scoring Lori all the way from first. Sorry, Goop. Almost as if he anticipated being closer to the wall than he actually was. And, uh, Before the game, how about batting practice? The gloves, Alex Spear was the first to pick this one up during batting practice. He lined a ball 379 feet dead. So, you think about that. Uh, they would rather, I mean, they're out there and they're running like the wall doesn't even exist, right? Until the wall does exist. You run right into the wall. And you want to just be all out. It seems the right thing. That's what you got to do. And, oh, man, some of those were, those were not pretty. Which is kind of what happens in churches and with Christians, is that we're out there, we're trying to live life, and we're out there running like there are no walls between us and other people, and the reality is suddenly sometime we ran face first into some wall between us and someone else. Even though, I mean, I, I recognize some walls we, we, we don't realize are there, but those guys knew where the, wall, the walls were. I mean, they are professional athletes, and yet, you know, that's, it's still. We know that there are walls. Maybe we even know which walls, but we still continue to run into them. Walls that are symbolized by what we've had up here over the course of our time together. Walls that need to come down. You see, it's hard to live a life in relationship with others, a life of love, while there's walls between us. 
And what Jesus is calling us to today is to have a love without walls. Jesus, who is the our peace, as we read in verse 14 of our passage here, Ephesians chapter 2. For he is our peace. And it says a little bit later, verse 15, this is the one who has come to make peace. To make peace. As we think about what is that, what is peace? What is involved with peace? Uh, we read in verse 16. And this one, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. To bring peace is to bring reconciliation between us and God, between us and one another. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who has come to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross, as Colossians 1 verse 20 says. To repair the separation, to join the two back together again. To have a love, a love finally that is without walls. Not just between us and God, but as we read in our passage here, between us and others. It is not just a, a, an up and down, but a cross, one to another. So what do we need to do about that? We need, first of all, to let Jesus break down the walls that divide us. Look at verse 14 here. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, we need to understand as you think about in a literal, physical sense of the temple, there was a, a, a dividing wall that separated not only the Jew from the Gentile, but separated both of them from God. There is an actual outer wall that separated the court of Gentiles that they could go no closer in, it, no, no farther. In fact, uh, there is an inscription that they found on Herod's temple that stated that any foreigner, any Gentile going past this point would only have himself to blame for his death which only further solidified the division, not just between the Gentile and God, but between the Gentile and the Jew. But the reality is it not necessarily any better. Yes, the Gentile is out this far, but those who were, quote, God's people, the Jews, were still separated from God. They were not allowed to go into the holy place that only the priest could go in, let alone the most holy place. There was that separation between them and God. It wasn't just about a literal wall, but was about a spiritual wall that separated us from God. But Jesus came to do something with that. It says here, verse 14, that he came to destroy the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. He came to demolish walls of separation, of division. So that as verse 21 says, together as living stones in God's wall, we be built together. In verse 16, we read that what Jesus was doing was taking away the division, the enmity, uh, depending on which uh, version that you have, it talks about the hostility, which is about the opposition, the dissension, the discord, the conflict, the division, the wall. Jesus came to deal with. This is why he came. To break down the walls that divide us. And what we're talking about here today is not something uh, that has so much to do with Forgiveness, because we've talked about that. We've talked about finishing forgiveness. Uh, God's goal of reconciliation and restoring the relationship is what we're talking about. As we look at this passage today, the first thing that we need to do, the first thing that needs to take place, is to let Jesus break down the walls that are dividing us. That's why he came. That's a part of what he did. As he talks about these walls here in verse 14, it's not just the, about the wall between me and God. It is about the wall between 
the people, between the Jews and the Gentiles, as, as we read what he talks about, by abolishing the flesh and the law with its commandments in verse 15, regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God. So it's not just, hey, he wants to reconcile me to God or us to God, but he wants to reconcile us to one another. That's why he came. Part of why he came in all of this. These are walls that maybe at first in forgiveness were partly dealt with and kind of like this, partly came down. But most of the time, even though a war is over between you and someone, you've forgiven them, so to speak, the wall still is not completely removed. The rubble of the wall is still there. The residue of the past is still creating a sticky situation today. It's keeping you from getting closer. There is a barrier between us that was not there before. There is a problem. And oftentimes we refuse to recognize that it's still there even after forgiveness. We need to make the decision to break it down, to allow Jesus to break down all the way all the way. Now some people think, well, my wall is broken down. I, I don't have animosity between me and the other person. And yet, there's still some alienation, some separation. I, we, we make the excuse, well, I, I know it's a different, but, but we've drifted apart. We've gone different directions with our lives. And sometimes that may be true, uh, but at times it's really because that wall is there between the two of you. Why is it that you feel separated? Why is it you feel you've drifted apart from the person? Because you can't come together because there's a wall there. There is only one other way to go, and that is to drift apart from one another. Which is especially dangerous. In marriages, when suddenly they just wake up and feel like, you know what, we've just drifted apart. I don't know what happened. Because you can never come fully together. Because the wall divided you. We can say that we love them. All we want. But Jesus came to demolish and destroy those walls. To have a love without walls. This is what he wants for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, all of you, agree with one another in what you say, that there will be how many? No divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. Brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me there are quarrels among you. This is what he wants of us. This is not like, oh, this is something we should work towards and this would be really good. And no. This is what Jesus came for. This is what he's commanding us. This is what we are to be. To have a love with all walls that does not have divisions. That is perfectly united in mind and thought. And, and some would argue that they're... Uh, yeah, but I, I need to... Sometimes you just need to keep that wall up to preserve the peace, Pastor. Pastor. You know what I mean? You know, the relationship, when we're together, we, we, if there's not a wall there, it just doesn't go well. I need a wall between me and Clarence or whoever it is. I need a wall between me and them. I need a buffer zone. Like that's the goal of our relationship. This misguided idea that we should just keep the peace. 
I don't want to upset the peace I have. So it's better that we just kind of keep this relationship distant, that we just kind of keep a wall between us and we just don't. Real peace is not the absence of conflict, especially one that requires the absence of the other person from your life. Oh, we have peace. Never see him. Never talk to him. Oh, I mean occasionally, but lots of peace. That's not peace. That's not what the Prince of Peace has come to give. We need to understand a ceasefire. In a ceasefire, nothing gets resolved. Nothing gets restored. Rather, what Jesus wants, what Jesus came to do is about making peace and making reconciliation so that our relationships get better. Our relationships grow closer and stronger. So does love never have walls? Are there exceptions? Now last week, we got to keep in mind, and we're not going to go back, or at least not try to go back too much to last week, what we talked about, but understanding forgiveness is always possible. Forgiveness should always happen. There is no excuse before God. In fact, we will stand before God and have to answer for that. Forgiveness is always possible, but reconciliation may not always be possible. Those two things are different. Look, go back to last week's message and listen. For example, let's give you an obvious example. If someone has passed away, if someone has died, it's not possible to reconcile your relationship with them. Does that make sense? I mean, if you haven't done it prior to that or something happened and you didn't do it, it's not possible to reconcile a relationship. But it is fully possible for someone in your life who has died for you to forgive them. Forgiveness can and should happen. But in that case, reconciliation may not be... Obviously, in that case, reconciliation can not happen. But as well, there may be those who have made the choice that they will not reconcile with you. Despite your repeated and varied, not the same thing you keep doing, but your repeated and varied measures of love that you're trying to restore the relationship, they may choose not to forgive you. You know, what you're doing is you're trying to break down the wall, which is what you should be. But kind of what it looks like, and this is not a great quality picture, is that you're taking down the wall on the one side and the other person just keeps building onto theirs. And you're going to keep trying, but you're never going to come together on reconciliation. Because reconciliation requires two people. Forgiveness only requires one. Reconciliation requires two. And so it's difficult to make that happen, even if you're trying to break your wall. In fact, really what it comes down to is Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone to do your part. Now, please understand, God wants us to be reconciled. This is why Jesus came. But let's face it, as much as we want it, as much as God wants it, people choose to disobey. People choose to live a life away from God in things like this. So as far as it depends on you to do everything in your power to pursue peace, and after you've done all that you need to do, after you've done all that you can do, without giving up, we give it up to God's hands. You don't ever just give up, but there comes a point in time where recognize, all right, I've done everything I can to pursue peace, to have peace, to have reconciliation between us. God, you have to take this because I can't change them. You can. Now, now this next part's a little tricky. And, and to some degree, I almost don't want to share it because I know people will take what is a fine line and use a broad brushstroke on this and, and paint the wrong thing. But there is a 
another time when reconciliation may not happen. This should not be abused or thought, oh, that's me. It may be that you want to restore the relationship. It may be that they want to restore the relationship. But they don't want to do their part and break down their side of the wall. Reconciliation is two-way. And understand, forgiveness happens, needs to happen. It has already happened. And what I'm talking about is not some exception to the rule of reconciliation. But it requires two people to make it right. And it may be that the other person either has not, cannot, or will not completely repent and turn from the problem that got your relationship into the mess to begin with. And therefore, it becomes difficult to have a total and full reconciliation because it requires two, and they're choosing not to participate. Even if they're telling you, I want our relationship to be back together. If we really want the relationship to be right, then we will get rid of the wrong. Sometimes what is best for reconciling the relationship is not jumping right back into a situation where they don't have to do anything on their part. For example, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again and again. There's a sense that we want to restore gently someone in Galatians chapter 6, but... But, okay, so, Pastor, are you saying that there are times where we can or or where we should leave the walls up? No. The walls that are blocking the way between you and someone else were not built with good intentions or God's intentions. Are you with me? The wall that is between us and someone, that was built off of bad things that happened. That was built from toxic things in your relationship that need to be dealt with and need to be gotten rid of or else the poison toxic will continue to go in our relationship. But what I'm saying, and I believe that there are times that we need to have fences, boundaries between us and others. Not walls that have been built up because of our unforgiveness or bitterness or all the other stuff. But there are times there needs to be some boundaries, some fences with certain people. Temporarily, at least, until a reconciliation can take place. Please do not forget, forgiveness has already taken place. That depends on you. Reconciliation takes place as it depends upon you and the other person both. Uh, And you're like, "Ah, I'm not sure how do I wrap myself around wrap my head around this. Let me give you an example uh, of a fence, a time where a fence may be needed. Think about when a spouse commits adultery. God has clearly told us that we must forgive, and, and there's a sense that even though there is an out from a relationship in those times, that's not commanded by God to take that out. In fact, God's best intentions for a couple... God's preference, His preferred will, is that the relationship would be reconciled. We should fight for our relationships. And I realize that we don't always win that fight. And it's especially difficult when only one is the one doing the fighting in the relationship. But here's the example where the fence comes in. There are some, who, believe it or not, when they are caught in the sin of adultery, admit it, which you're caught. I mean, that's not a big stretch, but they admit it. They ask forgiveness. They say that they want to stay married, that they love their spouse, but they are not willing to cut off all contact and ties with the person that they had the sinful relationship with. They stay in contact with that person, seeing that person. You cannot restore 
and reconcile a marriage relationship when you are having a relationship with two different people. Do you see? You want that reconciliation. And they can say they want it, but they're not doing their part. It takes two to reconcile. You can't continue on in this. It doesn't matter that you're sorry about what you've done. Second Corinthians chapter 7, 8-11 through 11 talk about the difference between a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and a worldly sorrow that just feels sorry and bad and you know it's a wrong and you've hurt people and all that. It's about uh, actual repentance that takes place. This is what Matthew chapter 18 is about in verses 15 to 17 that we're supposed to go when someone sins against you and to speak to them about that sin. And that they should hopefully just listen to you in turn, but they don't. And then it goes beyond that. But at the point of Matthew 18, and oftentimes pointed in church discipline, but it's not. It doesn't say this is church discipline. It says this is how we're supposed to work with one another. And the, the point of that is not to discipline. The point of that is really not just to get them to repent. The point of Matthew 18 is to get reconciliation. Not to correct somebody's behavior, but to correct the relationship problem. It's a process that requires hope, patient hope. It takes time. It's not something you say, well, I tried. It's over. You know what? It's not over till it's over. There is a point, but it's not over till it's over. And this, I tried. So many times people don't really try that hard. And part of that is because they've not really fully forgiven. There, there are other cases where there may be fences or boundaries they need to put up before reconciling and restoring close relationships with someone. Think about someone who, who hurts others, like a child abuser. We can and are still told to forgive. Forgive that person. There are no exceptions in God's words of somebody who cannot be forgiven. Keeping in mind that none, not one of us, deserves forgiveness here. But our forgiveness of them does not absolve the consequences of their actions. Our forgiveness does not pardon them from all the consequences. Even in our total forgiveness, we could testify in court against them with an attitude that is not trying to avenge or to make sure that they get punished, but rather to get them to stop, that they would be, that others would be protected from this happening to them and that this person would get help. Abuse is wrong. It is sin. At first and foremost, it, gets, it goes against the second, the number two commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. As well, it, it goes against what God has his value towards children and what Jesus has said in Mark chapter 9 and other places. If anyone causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them that a large millstone were hung around their neck and thrown into the sea. And there are other specific verses and for different cases that specifically say this is wrong. And unfortunately, there are those who have not stopped, who in many ways cannot stop the sin against others. Think of predators. And we need, and part of our biblical responsibility is protecting those who cannot protect themselves. And so those are the times that it's wise to build a fence. Not a wall built of things that are negative and unhealthy, but a fence, a boundary. That it becomes even perhaps hard to get to a point of true reconciliation with someone who never wants to really grab a hold of the truth and to change. When everyone is able to do their part and make it right and join Jesus in breaking down the walls, then we need to move on. We need to let Jesus build up the way that unites us. Uh, look back at our passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, Jesus, in verse 14, was 
breaking down those walls. He was demolishing them. But that's not just all he came to do. He also came to build up. To build us up together. Not just to break down the barriers of hostility, but to build a unity, uniting us together that fully makes peace. That's what reconciliation is about. To make things right and reunite. Reestablish friendly relationships to the point where we become one. Jesus builds in us a way that unites us if we will let him. In verse 14, if you look at verse 14, it says about how he made both one. In verse 15, he says he made one new man. Verse 16, it's one body. Verse 18, it's one spirit. Verse 19, one holy nation, one family, one father, therefore, and ultimately together at the end there in one temple. That is what it should be. And we can look and say that we've forgiven somebody that our relationship is good. But is it God? Dream. Is it God's hope? Is it God's will? Is it God's command that we are actually being one with that person? Together, united, unity. Have we taken steps to repair what was broken and restore the relationship? You know, we can act like we've done something incredible. I mean, some people are like, listen, yeah, I'll tell you what. It's just incredible what we've got. I I know we were used to odds one another, but we've restored communication. We're talking again. Well, that sounds good. But if all we've done is restore communication, we haven't restored the relationship. We need to restore communion, not just communication. To restore a communion, a co-union of our life with that person. Not just to the way it was, but to the way it should be. Think about celebrating here today. We're looking at the bread and the cup and all that we call communion. Think about that what communion means. As, and, and we think about this time as an intimate fellowship with Jesus. That's part of sometimes what we talk about. In fact, when we look at the The word uh, communion and all that it means, that whole, uh, let's say, a dictionary.com says an interchange or sharing of thoughts or emotions, intimate communication, the act of sharing or holding in common union, connected at a deeply personal level. Have your walls come down good. But there needs to be a sense where it's not just that we're saying, okay, I got it. Uh, I've done the hard work here. My wall has finally come down. and, And the other person is ready. And I'm ready. And okay, there, Jesus. I did it. I don't want to lose any worship team members later. There. This is where some of us are at. We've gone through this series here. And you have done the work. You have seen God work. The wall is down. But there's a little bit of a problem. You're still standing there like it's there. You gotta cross over. Not just communicate back and forth, but communion that joins hearts and minds together. We need to let Jesus build us up in a way that truly unites us. And understand this, reconciling the relationship actually can sometimes be harder than forgiving. Now, for some, once you get forgiving, you're just good. But there's sometimes that reconciliation is is going to take work on, on two people's part to deal with the real issues, to not give up. 
Sometimes it's going to be two steps forward and three steps back. But as you keep pushing forward, as you keep stepping across, there's no wall there anymore. As you keep doing it, it becomes three steps forward and two steps back until finally in your relationship, as you let Jesus work in you, it is just in step with the Spirit. Nothing back, but fully in step with the Spirit, restoring a relationship that involves building back of trust. Even when things don't go right exactly every time, it takes effort and we keep pressing forward. Sometimes, as we do this, there may still feel like there's some tension or something between us. I I don't know what it is. Well, sometimes what it is is that that wall has been there for so long, you've just kind of gotten used to it. And the tension is you've gotten to the point where you were comfortable with the wall and now the wall's not there and that person's right there. You're just a little uncomfortable. Like, I, I don't really know how to act. I mean, I remember how we used to be, but how do I get there? How do I get to where I just don't, you know what? Deal with being uncomfortable. Love without walls. Love that will really move you forward, even in those times where you don't hold back. You know, give them a call. Somebody's got to make the first move. Stepping across where there's no longer that wall. Give them a call. Send them a text, an email. Stop by their house. Do something for them. Do something with them. You go someplace and there they are. Go over and sit with them, which is not something that you wanted to do before. Show, act, behave like the wall really is no longer there. And that what you're not sure of and and feeling awkward or feeling like maybe there is something. No, it's not there. Just move. We need to make that commitment here. And we will strive together to make it right to unite. That we would not have people go on the offensive or on the defensive. The question will be who is on the Lord's side. To get it through our heads and through our hearts that other people are not the enemy. That Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 and 11 tell us very clearly even through verse 12 that the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not really against the other person. All of us who are in Christ are on the same team. We need to start acting like it and not like the Hatfields and the Steelers. I mean the Hatfields and the McCoys. How can we show Jesus is the Prince of Peace? If we do not submit to his ruling peace between us. With a love without walls. That is our greatest witness to a watching world. Jesus said it in John. Our greatest witness is what they're watching and waiting to see if Jesus is real or is Jesus just a religion. Our goal and our desire should be to rebuild the relationship not the barriers between us, to restore the relationship, which can be a beautiful thing, not just to you, not just to the other person, not just to uh, uh, God's people, but to the world, and not just to the world, to rebuild, to restore. Jesus' way is a beautiful thing to Him. The importance of having a love without walls cannot be overemphasized if we want to have the blessing of God to be upon us. In verse 20, it talks about how God dwells in His temple and that His temple is us. Now, some people say, yeah, that's right, Pastor. I'm the temple of God. You're the temple of God. No, that's not what it's saying here. It's saying we together, not we separately are the temples of God. We together are the temple. That Jesus is building up. Jesus is building us up together to form the temple. And what is the temple? That is the place where God dwells. Who we want to see. And dwell among us in amazing and mighty ways. We want to see the Holy Spirit fall. To have the freedom to flow. 
But that can't happen if there are walls blocking the way of the unity of the Holy Spirit. We want to see Jesus build His church and have a mighty impact on our community. But how can His power flow to transform the world if we are not connected? If there are walls separating us, if we are not together in one wall, His wall, His temple, how can a mighty revival take place? As Second Chronicles 7 talks about, if God's people who are called by His name will not humble themselves and do this. And some of you are like, I'm with you, I've been with you. But I know there are some of you here today that... I agree with you. I know that's what God's Word says. But I have no intention of doing anything about it. R.T. Kendall, who I told you about last week in the book Total Forgiveness, said the Lord spoke to him very clearly regarding a deep hurt that was caused to his family by individuals in the church he pastored. The Lord said this, you say you want to see a revival take place in this church, but what if the beginning of mighty revival hinges on whether or not you totally forgive this person? He says, I felt awful. I felt selfish. I felt trapped. But I had to make a decision on the spot as to whether or not I really want a revival in my church. I had to choose which meant more to me, getting even with someone who hurt one of my children or receiving the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now, hopefully we kind of covered last week those people who say, well, I don't want to prevent the blessing of the Holy Spirit, so I'll just leave the church. You're not leaving God's family. All you're doing is just taking the problem now to two churches because it's God's blessing whether it comes in your life and whether you're the Aiken in the camp or not. I realize this is hard teaching. It's not something that our comfortable religiosity going through the church motions really want to be able to do. But he tells us in places like Matthew chapter 5, which we went over. If your brother has something against you, go to him. Matthew 18, how we're to handle it. Galatians 6. We're not running away from relationships. When will we realize we're running away from God? So as we have communion here this morning, let's recognize that it's about one body united together communion itself especially in our western mind we've made it very individualized it's as if we just all sit in the room one room together but we're really just you and god and when we read the new testament it wasn't just a you and god thing communion was something that was a corporate thing that took place. Something that he says this about communion. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together at church, there are divisions among you, and to what extent I believe it, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which has the Lord's approval. So when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, but... And he goes on to talk about that. You're not eating the Lord's Supper. I mean, you can call it the Lord's Supper. You can call it communion. You can do whatever you want. But you're not recognizing one another being together. There are divisions with you, and that's not communion. The walls that are dividing and keeping others at a distance to come down. Real communion is a, a love without walls. Here's the thing we hinted at before is that some walls that come down between people and, and, and we praise God for that, that some have. But I pray that the walls would fully come down, be fully demolished by Jesus, but as well that we would reunite, that we would commune with one another as He wants, that we would come together. And the Holy Spirit would help us to see this, want this, reconciling of relationships this is what jesus wanted for us john chapter 15 this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that someone 
laid down his life for his friends. If we should have a love that lays down our life, don't you think we should have a love that lays down our walls? I want to ask us today as we come and ask the worship team to come on up as we come before the Lord in communion what we're going to do is is give you an opportunity to do this let the walls go down to step across and step with into someone else's life that's there maybe there's somebody here that there is has been walls or or there's been the rubble things have been better but you know that they can be even more that god wants more in a relationship so we've done this before this is not a major surprise but the loaves and what you would do in the first part of communion is that the communion stewards will be in three different places up here that you just come but that as you grab a hold that you would grab a hold not just enough for you but recognizing that we are all a part of the one body, that we are part of one another, and that you would grab a hold of enough for you and at least someone else, one other, and especially someone that maybe is here, that you need to reconnect, that you need to step across where that wall no longer exists and unite and begin or finish the process of reconciliation. Father, I pray that you would help us now. Ask the communion stewards come. Father, help us. Jesus, you came to demolish the walls, but you also came to build us up together in a way like you want us together with you. Unite us, unity, communion, closeness. Lord, restore relationships and make it so there is nothing that will stop you and your power from flowing in us and through us and to the world around us. Revive us in this, Jesus. In your name we pray.